Good morning, church. Great to worship with you this morning. For those of you uh, I haven't had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Rusty. I'm lead pastor here, at least for another three weeks, um, and then maybe a little bit longer, but uh, I have three weeks left before I head off to sabbatical. You guys excited? <laughs> I know a few of you are. <laughs> I've had a couple people already this morning, they're like, you're not already gone? And there's a bit of this look at this disappointment, and uh, it's coming, but um, it's good to be with you. And... Uh, I see some faces I haven't seen in a while. Some of you have already, uh, if you've been a part of New Life Church for at least four years, you know that we at one point had a pastor named Andrew, that he had a wife named Karen, who he still has as a wife. <laughs> Good job. And they have three boys, Eli, Malachi, and Silas. And I don't think you've been here for Sunday morning since that last Sunday, so it's been four years. So they got a break from uh, lead pastoring in Steinbach. Welcome here guys, and uh, great to have you back with us. Uh, we, we pray God's blessing on you, your family, and your ministry there, and uh, your boys are bigger than I remember, and Andrew, you're smaller than I remember, so I'm like, I'm like, the guy's, the guy's looking good, he's fit, I, good motivation. Thank you, Andrew, for a little added motivation. If uh, you just happen to be joining us for the first time, or the first time in a while, we are nearing the end of uh, our Easter sermon series that we're going to conclude next Sunday, Easter Sunday, where we've been going through the seven statements of Jesus from the cross. Now, if you read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which record for us the the account of the crucifixion of Jesus, you're going to find that there are seven things that Jesus says from the cross, that God has preserved for us, a record of. And, and that's not an accident that we have these seven sayings that we read because every single one of them leads us into a deeper understanding of who God is, who Jesus is, what the cross means, and what it looks like for us to live a cross-shaped life and to follow Jesus Christ. And so we're looking at this sixth statement of Jesus from the cross and probably the most unexpected statement, I think, because the other seven things Jesus says from the cross, you might kind of expect. Um, They're all related to, you know, why Jesus is on the cross. They're related to the spiritual work that He's doing on the cross. But this one statement is a little bit different. It almost seems like it's a bit of an interruption to the story maybe even seems a little misplaced, surprising to hear Jesus say when He's in this position. And what is it? Well, it's Jesus talking to His mom. On that cross, in His dying moments, as He's going through all the physical and the emotional and the spiritual anguish of that moment, He looks down and He sees His mom standing near the cross, and and He says to her, woman, for the record, don't, don't refer to your mom as woman. <laughs> don't say Jesus did it. I can do it too. That, don't, that doesn't work. Um, don't refer to your wife as woman. Just when, when you read that, just know that in those days that there was not any sort of derogatory thing, okay? He's, he looks at his mom and he says, woman, here is your son, uh, indicating to a disciple of his who's also standing there. And he turns to the disciple and says, says here is your mother. 
I just want us to see this morning really how remarkable that is from Jesus on the cross. And really to see that there are two things about that statement that at least I find really remarkable. The first is this. From the cross, Jesus is caring for his mom. As he's there, like, you know what he's doing, right? He's dying for the sins of the world. Can you imagine all that is on his mind and all that is in his heart in that moment? And probably, you know, I think he, he, he has in mind all, all of humanity, past, present, and future, you and I, on his mind as he dies for your sin and my sin. But in that moment, he looks down and he sees his mom and he cares for her. He ensures that her needs will be met. I think that's remarkable. Jesus is not too busy with the business of dying for the sins of the world to take care of his mom. Now, Joseph, Jesus' biological, um, or, you know, what would be the word? Earthly father? Stepfather? Joseph is likely dead. After the account of Jesus' birth, he's, he's no longer in the, in the picture after Jesus is a boy. He's probably died. Mary, his mother, is widowed. Jesus is the oldest son, and he feels this responsibility to care for his mom. But he too now is dying, and he's going to be gone in a few moments. He knows that. And so one of his last acts before he dies for your sin and my sin is to make sure that his mom is looked after. And what I hear in those words of Jesus is you never outgrow your family, church. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how important your business is. It doesn't matter who your family is. You never outgrow your family. Uh, So I've, I've titled this message... Uh, being a real mama's boy. A real mama's boy. Not a stereotypical mama's boy. Because what's a mama's boy when you think of that? Uh, A mama's boy is someone who just cares a little bit too much about what mama thinks, right? Whose will gets bent to his mother's will, who maybe has no kind of will or thoughts of his own, who maybe lives for his mom's approval more than anyone else. Are you a mama's boy? Any mama boys in here? Anyone married to a mama's boy? Okay, I know some of you are. Okay, if that's what a mama's boy is, what I want us to know is Jesus is not that. You need to know that when you hear these words of Jesus. Jesus is not that type of mama's boy. Jesus is a real mama's boy. He was committed to his family, but his family was not his highest commitment. And we see this over and over again in the record of his life. So let's just kind of quickly go through that. Luke chapter 2, when Jesus is a boy, he's at the temple. His parents have lost, tr- lost track of him. They come, they find him at the temple. He's 12 years old. You know, they're, they're kind of upset. They were worried. Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you, Mary says. Why were you searching for me, Jesus asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Or your version might say, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? I have, a more, I have more important business and more important mission and purpose than you have for me, mom and dad? His very first miracle where he transforms the water into wine at this wedding in Cana, you find it in John chapter 2, he's at this wedding, the wine is gone, Jesus' mother Mary says to him, Jesus, they've got, they, uh, they run out of wine. Why do you involve me, he says, my hour has not yet come. In other words, mom, I'm not just gonna do what you want me to do. 
Like, I, I'm, I'm here on my heavenly Father's mission. I'm here to do His will. Luke chapter 11, verses 27 to 28, Jesus is teaching a woman in the crowd, calls out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. Oh, your mom, she must, she, what a special woman she must be. How proud she must be of you, Jesus. She must be extra blessed. Blessed, rather, Jesus says, are those who hear the word of God and obey it. This is the, every single time you see Jesus interacting with his family and others, he's always deflecting from his family being really special. Mark chapter 3, 31 to 35, Jesus, again, he's teaching um, some of his followers. His mom and his brothers arrive, and they're kind of upset at some of what they hear he's saying. Um, they, they send someone in to call him out, and a crowd was sitting around, uh, and, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you, Jesus. He says this, he says, who are my mother and brothers? Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him, and he said, here are my, my, my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will uh, of God is my brother and sister and mother. You see, he keeps deflecting. Luke chapter 14, verse 26, he, in his teaching, he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. If you, cannot, if you don't hate your mom, you can't be my disciple. Okay, he's trying, he's trying to get people's attention. Okay, don't hear Jesus saying, I need to hate my mother in the way you hear that. Because that's not what he's saying. What Jesus is doing is he's, he's wanting to upend the order of commitments that was so prevalent in that day. You might think Jesus is being kind of anti-family when you kind of see all of these interactions and you're going, he just seems kind of cold, like a bit of a lousy son or a lousy sibling. But what Jesus is doing in every instance is he's upending this order of commitment that family was everything because in that culture, they thought family was everything. That was the highest thing. And I know some of you in your kitchens, you got a little plaque that says family is everything. I hope you don't believe that. I know it sounds nice, but as a Christian, we can't say family is everything. Family is the most important thing because this is what Jesus is teaching us, Right? He's teaching us that there is a higher commitment that we have than the commitment to our family. In that day, as it is in many places today, people tended to idolize family. It was the highest thing. It was the highest good. It was the highest commitment. If you didn't have family, if you didn't have a partner, if you didn't have children, that was the greatest failure. It was your greatest shame. It might even be seen as a divine curse. Family was everything. I remember uh, back in 2003, I spent a summer in Macedonia, a little country in southern Europe working with, some, um, with Albanian people, developed a friendship with this Albanian guy named Ferdi. I'm glad I don't live in a place where I have to roll my tongues because God gave me just kind of this fat tongue that, you know, very Mennonite sort of. Only good for eating cottage cheese pierogies, really. More on that later. Ferdi, um, I, remember, I remember going to visit his house and being very confused with his, his family situation because I found out that the person he called mom and dad were actually uncle and aunt and the person he called uncle and aunt were actually his mom and dad and the people he called cousins were actually his brothers and sisters because see his uncle and aunt who lived next door to his parents who he called his, his uncle and aunt, um, his uncle and aunt couldn't have kids, his parents had a few so they just gave a kid to his uncle and aunt. Right? He was the fourth one that came along. I mean, four is too many, right? 
No. Um, they didn't have one. They just, they just gave him Ferdi. So he was, he, he was raised by his uncle and aunt, but they were, that's what he called mom and dad, and his, his mom and dad he called uncle and aunt, and his siblings lived in that house, but they were his cousins, and my head was just like, like well, this is a different world. Okay, well, that's kind of like Jesus' day and age, right? Family was, was absolutely everything. And so Jesus, he's upending this order of commitment. What he's saying as we go through all of those statements is that obedience to God comes before obligation to family. Family is really important, we see from the cross. But family is not the, is, is not the highest importance, the greatest value. You see this in Luke chapter 9 because Jesus... He's calling people to follow him. And he comes to this one guy. He comes to this one guy and says, follow me. This is Luke 9. The guy says, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus says to him, let the dead bury their own. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Here again, this is kind of like hard-hearted, callous Jesus. Like, what's going on? Well, what you need to know is the man hadn't had lost his father. It's not like the funeral was tomorrow. What he was saying is, as, as a child, as a son in this family, I have an obligation to be in my parents' house until the day comes. It might be next year or 10 years or 20 years from now when my father passes away. And then, and then, 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 when that happens, then I'll come follow you, Jesus. When I've met that commitment, that obligation. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their own. You have to come. You have to follow God. In other words, obedience to God comes before obligation to family. So let's just get that straight. Because there are times when we have to choose. And you might have been in a situation or be in a situation where you have these competing commitments and you have to make a choice between being obedient to the will of God or doing what your family thinks you ought to do. What mom thinks is best. Obedience to God comes before obligation to family. But, and of course we see that on the cross, right? Because what is the cross? Mary doesn't want Jesus on the cross. His family doesn't want that. Jesus, why didn't you just keep your mouth shut? You wouldn't be up there dying. I'm going to lose my son. The cross is Jesus' giving of himself completely to the will of of God, his heavenly Father. That's what the cross is. It's God's will above all. But on the cross, we see that being devoted to God will mean being devoted to your family. On the cross, we see that serving God will cause you to serve and care for your family, that that will be something that's very important to you. Because Jesus took to task some of the religious leaders of the day that kind of got that, got that whole relationship between God and family thing wrong. See, in Mark chapter 7, He comes to these religious leaders. He says, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and that anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. Any kids in the room? Or adults, for that matter. That that, that command doesn't age out. You know that, right? But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their mother or father is korban, it's the word in their language, that means devoted to God, 
then you no longer let them do anything for their father and mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by the tradition that you have handed down. In other words, they had this practice. If there was some sum of money or maybe it was like a time, they'd set something that they'd set aside and they said it was korban. They had devoted it to God. But now there's some situation in their family where maybe mom's going to lose the house because something catastrophic has happened and, and you, you tell people that they can't use what they've devoted to God to care for their family. He says, you got it wrong. Didn't God say, honor your father and mother? In fact, isn't that the, the very first command after the four commands and the Ten Commandments that are all related between my relationship with God and myself? Isn't the first one that's human relationship, the one about family? Honor your father and mother? Being devoted to God means being devoted to your family. This is what we see through these words of Jesus on the cross. The cross makes us other-centered. Not to obey family, but to serve family, to care for family. The cross makes us other-centered, right? Because that, that's what it is. And, and you have a cross to pick up, right? We talked about that a few weeks back. The cross isn't just for Jesus, because right after that verse where he said, let the dead bury their own, you've got to follow me. The very next verse is, whoever would follow me would have to deny themselves, pick up their cross daily and follow after me. What does it mean to carry our cross? It means to live a to live a God-centered and other-centered life. And what Jesus is showing us from the cross in caring for his mom in that moment is that family is the very first place of selfless service. Your family, your household, is the first place of ministry, is the first place of care. This is what Paul uh, says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Timothy, you know, or uh, Paul, of course, the apostle, and he's, he's giving some instruction to this young pastor named Timothy. He says in, in chapter 5, verse 3, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, what's the word? These should learn, what's the word after when I just stopped, what's the next word? Sorry, like my constructions are, instruction are a little confusing, aren't they? I get it. Okay? The, the word, the word I, w- I was hoping you might just kind of latch onto was the word first. Okay? The, these people should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family. And so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. It pleases God when you care for your family first. That caring, maybe in that context, might have been more physical, like making sure mom's got a roof over her head, bills are paid. But I think it went beyond that, right? It's not just care that's physical, it's care that's emotional, it's care that's spiritual. There's a lot of people I've met, older people, Rosewood Lodge, some nursing home, maybe even older people in this church. They've got kids, they've got grandkids, and they're lonely. They've got family that don't, care enough, don't call enough, don't, aren't attentive enough to, their, to the needs of, 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 of their needs, um, call your mom. You know, what he's saying here is, is to, to, to practice your faith, what does that look like? Well, it looks like what Jesus did on the cross. It means caring for your parents and your grandparents, physically emotionally, spiritually, in whatever way you can. You know, I've kind of reached that, and I know we're all at a different stage of life in here. 
I'm at that stage of life where I'm now turning 42, and um, I'm kind of entering that, what do they call it, that sandwich generation? Or that age where my parents now, hi mom and dad, they watch Monday morning, they go to their church right now, and Monday morning they're going to watch this, so I'm going to say nice stuff. I love you mom and dad. I think you're great, but you're getting old. Like, let's be honest, you're getting old. Uh, my mom, just, she just turned 65 last month. She got her first check, pension check, this last week. She texted me. She was excited. Got my first. She just came out of her second surgery that she's had in the last couple of months. You know, starting to be some health stuff. My dad, now there's a seven at the beginning of his age. And, you know, up until this point, it's always kind of been like my parents were there for me. If I needed something, I went there, right? They asked me how I was doing. They prayed for me. They called me. And, and now I'm, I'm, I'm having to really shift thinking of what my role is. You know, I need to be there for my parents. I need to be ensure that their needs are met, whether those are physical, emotional, or spiritual needs, whatever they are. That is my responsibility as a child. That's for my responsibility as a grandchild is to provide that sort of care. Um, what would that look like for you? What stage of life are you in with family? And you know what? He's not just talking about, because you might be like, hey, I'm, a, I'm single, no kids. I, I go home, there's nobody in my house. I guess this doesn't apply to me. I'm off the hook. No, because we'll see in a moment. He's not just talking about, you know, immediate nuclear family. He's talking about, he's talking about relatives around you, aunts, uncles, cousins, nieces, nephews, that sort of thing. Um, what stage of life are you at in your family? And what would it look like for you to care first for your family? How do you need to grow in that same attitude that Jesus had from the cross? I mean, if anyone has more important work to do than dying for the sins of the world, okay, then you're off the hook, right? But if you don't have more important work than that, what is it, what do you need to do and to be to family to provide for their needs? Now, I know some of you, you have um, family that you don't like very much. You've got broken relationships, and that's a really sad thing. You know? How do you honor people that aren't honorable people, that haven't lived honorable lives? How do you care for people that maybe haven't cared for you? Because some of you, I, I know you're in that boat. Uh, I remember hearing uh, a question that was put to a secret service, a secret service agent whose job it was to take a bullet for the president. And he was asked, like, what, how can you do that? Like, how could you take a bullet for somebody that you may not even like and that you wouldn't maybe vote for? And, and the person said, I'm not protecting the person. I'm protecting the position. The person that holds it may not be an honorable person, but they hold an honorable position. And it's no different with family. We are, family is God's design. The idea of family, God's design for it is honorable. It is good. And therefore, regardless of who your parents are or your kids are, whatever, the call of God is the same. It's to seek to serve and to care for their needs, whatever that may be. For some of you, that might mean, I don't know, maybe you're working, you've got kids at home. That might mean working less so that you can give more of your time and energy to your kids 
your family. Because I know there's people out there that they're like, man, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do, I'm building, I'm doing all of this so that my kids can have a future. So that I can send them to a good college. They can have everything they need so they can have great lives. And, and they're trying to serve the family of the future instead of the family of today. And they're neglecting the family of the present in order to serve some sort of family of the future. And sadly, a lot of those people, they never get to the family of the future. That all falls apart because they didn't, they didn't serve and care for and minister to the needs of the family of today. And that's true in parenting. That's true in marriage. It might be for us to apply this. I mean, maybe we need to consider where are we giving our time and our energy? Do we need to shift it away maybe from working less to spend more good quality time with a spouse, with kids? What would it look like for you to care better for your family? I remember someone saying to me once, um, Rusty, God has given to the church, His church, many pastors. He's given your wife one husband. And she's told me that's enough. There is no other. She's given your wife one husband. God has given your kids one father. He's given the church many pastors. Because you know what? It's easy. It's easy for me to, to use every ounce of energy, every waking moment to pastor and to neglect the needs of those that should be my priority. It's easily done. And you don't have to be a pastor to know that dynamic. The primary place of ministry is the home, is the family. This is what I want you to see when we hear the words of Jesus, when he cares for his mom from the cross. Because, you know, some of you wonder, and I, I hear, will hear people say it from time to time, I don't know what I, I have to do in the church. Like, I don't like kids, uh, I'm not good at teaching uh, or leadership. or like, what do, How can I serve? Um, and, and this is what I want you to know, you don't have to have a volunteer role in a ministry in order to serve. My question would be, do you have a family? Do you have a family? If you have a family, then you have a place of service. If you have a family, then there are needs right around you that God wants you to minister to. Let me give you a few more volunteer titles. Husband, wife, son, daughter, mother, father, grandparent, grandchild, aunt, Uncle, cousins, second cousins twice removed. <laughs> Rusty, please stop. We get it. We get it. And as we've already said with Oimadis up here, you know, parents, you are the primary disciplers of your children. Not youth pastors, not Sunday school teachers, not grandma and grandpa. Grandma and Grandpa have a huge impact too. But you as parents, you are the primary disciplers of your children. If you have a family, if you are a part of a family, and I know you are because you're here, you exist as a human being, then you have a sacred ministry. Do you see it that way? To serve God is to serve your family. It, it flows out of our relationship with God, that, that priority. That, that's what Paul says in 1 Timothy 5.8. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household, so I guess relatives means those out of your household, right, your extended family, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 
If you don't care for the needs of your family, you've denied your faith? You're worse than an unbeliever? How is that possible? Well, it's because everything we know about God, the example of Jesus, the empowering He gives us by His Word and by His Spirit should cause us to be those who are looking to serve and care for our family well. That should be a high, not the highest priority, but the second highest priority in our lives. Jesus saves us, He empowers us, and He sends us back into our families to serve. So what would it look like for you to apply this in your family? To be like Jesus, who from the cross cares for His mom. There's a second remarkable thing I want us to see here, and that's who He puts His mom in the care of. He entrusts His mother to the care of a disciple. We're not told who. He just refer, uh, the, John, the author, refers to the disciple as the one whom Jesus loved, the beloved. Now, it's almost certainly John referring to himself. I don't know if he's a bit of an arrogant dude, like, Jesus was my favorite. I'm the beloved. There's some of you in your family, like, I'm mom and dad's favorite. It's obvious. They say so. It's really clear. Um, like, was John more beloved than the other disciples of Jesus? Well, I, I, I like to think that... Um, you know, Jesus, whoever he met, whoever he's in a relationship with, they felt like they were the beloved one. They felt like they were really special. You know, like when I call my kid over, you're my favorite, don't tell anyone else. Hey, you're my favorite, don't tell anyone else. Right? So this is probably John himself who's writing this gospel, who's standing near the cross. Jesus sees his mom. He's going to go. He needs a substitute. He is our substitute, dying for our sin. But now he's leaving his mom, and so now the substitute, Jesus needs a substitute to stand in for him with his, with his mother, and he looks to his disciple and not to brothers. Jesus had brothers. He had a handful of brothers. Why didn't he say to the brothers, hey, little punk, I don't know what he would have called, I wonder what he would have called his little brothers. Um, care for mom, would you? But he doesn't put his mom into the care of his brothers. He puts them into the care of his disciple. Why is that? Well, the last reference to the brothers of Jesus in the Gospel of John literally says, and they did not believe in him. You see, at that point, Jesus' brothers were not his biggest fans. They didn't really believe he was the Messiah. They would come to believe after he rose from the dead and they would become leaders in the church. But at this point, as he's dying on the cross, they don't believe in him, which, you know, is another good example of why, hey, sometimes family is a tough place to do ministry, isn't it? Sometimes family is the hardest place to serve and care because of the dynamic there among siblings or whatever. It's not easy, which is sometimes why we avoid it and look past family to other people. I think Jesus puts his mom in the care of a disciple because Jesus isn't just concerned about her physical care. Her brothers could have, his, uh, his brothers could have done that. But he's really, um, he, uh, he really is, values her spiritual care. He wants to entrust his mom to a believer, someone who's going to encourage her spiritually, nurture her faith, you see, what Jesus is doing on the cross is he's establishing a new household with those words. Here is your mother. You know what he's making? He's making the church. 
We are the household of God. This building isn't the house of God. We are the household of God. We don't meet in God's house. We meet as God's house. Did you know that? And so we are a family, and we are called to offer the love and the care of family to those who need it. This is a part of God's beautiful design for the church. In the family, there are many brothers and sisters and sons and daughters and mothers and fathers. This is what God has called us to. And that's why back in 1 Timothy 5, Paul says to Timothy, at the beginning of chapter 5, don't rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your, were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. What he's saying is, I would need you to know, in the church, you're all family. Treat one another with the love and the care of family, because this is who you are. And man, like, this is what we're called to, church not just religious activity, we are called to offer family to one another because there are people in this room that don't have it. There are people in this room, there are widows in this room, there are people that maybe have family, maybe they go home from here to a husband or a wife or other family in their home, but they don't share that same faith. They're, they're not getting any sort of spiritual care or encouragement from, from that family. There are people in here who lack family. We're here because God wants us to give that to one another. The church is ideally equipped by God and empowered by God to be this in our community to one another. You know, we live in a world where there's just a lot of people and a lot of loneliness. A lot of people and a lot of isolation. People thirst for community. They thirst for the love and the care of family because that's what we were made for. We were designed for community, and even in our very DNA, in our biology, researchers, they took um, a mouse, and they put a mouse with a group of strange mice that they didn't know in a situation where um, they had to share an insufficient supply of food. That outsider mouse developed high blood pressure in that group. But they put that same mouse with its brother and sister mice, are you tracking? in a group the same size and with the same inadequate amount of food, and they measured the blood pressure, and the blood pressure didn't rise because it was with family. Mice can handle stress if they have their family around them, but not when they are surrounded by strangers. Other research shows that uh, it's no different for human beings. This is God's design for the church. This is what we see from Jesus when he entrusts his mom into the care of his disciple is you are to be a family to each other. And you know that very first church, they grew so fast, I mean, they, they had a tough time keeping up. And people started falling through the cracks. We find in Acts chapter 6, you know, there were some widows, the Hebraic, the Hebrew widows, they were having their needs met, but they're the Hellenistic, the Greek widows, they were being overlooked. Was it racism? Maybe. Maybe it was racism or partly that. Or was it because they just had a stronger social network, the Hebraic ones, but, but the Hellenistic widows, they didn't have that same social network, and so their needs were falling through the cracks. And so they recognized this is a problem. And so the, the, the leaders of the church said, select seven men amongst yourselves and form a committee to make sure that everybody, every widow gets cared for. Because in the family of God, everybody is to receive 
the care of family. And that means sometimes we need to build structures of care. As much as we like to think that somehow, sometimes that, that, that's supposed to happen spontaneously, it doesn't. We as a church, this is one of the reasons we organize to build structures of care so that we can be family to those who need family. It's one of the reasons, you know, we have life groups and discipleship groups. We work hard to create, you know, environments where people can build these sort of supportive relationships. So it doesn't just come here, say hi to a few people, go home, and, and, and you're no really better off. No one helping you carry your burdens. No one really knowing and supporting. So we have these groups. We have... Uh, we have a, a, a structure of caring for our kids here. So that, let me just give a shameless plug for Plan to Protect because what you didn't hear in announcements is this Thursday is our Plan to Protect training for all of you who are volunteers with our kids, youth, and vulnerable adults. So if you're volunteering in those areas, you have to come. And if you want to volunteer in those areas and we need volunteers in those areas, you need to come and take that. Why? Because we want to provide the best care we can for everybody in this family. And I know sometimes it's like, it feels a little bit onerous with some of these structures. I don't know if you've ever had to pick up your kid and you're like, I gotta, I gotta show my sticker. I gotta show my sticker to someone before I get my kid. Jim, you know who I am. You know that's my kid. This is silly. But you know what we're doing, right? It's like that family that hears about all that abuse that happens in churches on the news. And they come in here and, this is, and they're wanting to explore, is this a safe place? Are we going to be cared for here? And then they bring their kid to a group of strangers and they put them there. We want people to know that, we, that we're going to be family. We are going to care for one another as well as we possibly can. And so that's why we do that. Because that's what family does. And so you can support that by, you know, like, by just be, being, being a part of all of that. That's why we do that. Did I say that we needed more volunteers for kids' ministry yet? Did I forget that part? And youth ministry? If you're interested, um, please come to the Plan to Protect training this Thursday evening at the church. You'll find more information in your bulletin. Um, here's the thing. You don't need a title or a job description to do that sort of ministry. And you don't need to be perfect. Because John, he was imperfect. In fact, the... But before this encounter where Jesus addresses him and gives him the care of his mom, what's the last thing that happened? He fled with the other disciples. He abandoned Jesus. He, he thought, I'm a total failure. Here he is. He's probably feeling so ashamed that he let down his friend, his Lord, and he's there filled with shame. And Jesus looks down at him and doesn't like scold him or anything. He says, I'm going to give you the care of my mom. And you don't need a title or a job description in church to offer the love and the care of family who need it around you. I remember when my family and I, we, we moved far away from our families to northern Ontario, a bunch of strangers, a little church. My kids didn't, never saw grandma and grandpa. And there was this couple, Dave and Joanne Nichols. They just took my kids in. They took us in and they became grandparents to my kids. And all the functions, they, invite, they invited us over for those family functions. And it meant the world to my kids. It marked them. It showed them the love of God and it showed them the church in action. Our kids, our people need to know that this is a family. Because that's what it's supposed to be. How can you 
offer that sort of care as a disciple of Jesus to those around you? What might that look like to be family to those who need a family? The church of Jesus, as the organized body of Christ, it's God's design for people to give and to receive the care of of family. So, as we hear those words of Jesus from the cross, let it not be lost on us how remarkable that is, that Jesus, as He's dying for our sin, doesn't allow that to keep Him from caring for His mom. That's incredible. What would it look like for you to have that same attitude with your biological family? And with your spiritual family, what would it look like for you to put this to practice? If you want to throw those questions up on the screen. And I want to invite us into a moment maybe of reflection and, uh, and prayer. How can you grow in care for your family in whatever stage of life you're at? How can you offer the care of family to those around you who need it? So... We're going to start praying about that. And then when you go home, continue to pray, listen to God, and maybe talk if you're with others, if you're with friends or with your family. Talk about those questions. What would that look like for you to put this to practice? I want to invite you into a moment of prayer. Would you bow your head? Why don't you just begin by taking a moment to thank God that through faith in His Son Jesus, He has adopted you into His family, that He calls you children sons and daughters, and you can call Him Father and know today that you have His care. That's amazing. Just take a moment to thank Him for that incredible reality because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. Let's take another moment to to ask God these questions. God, would you show me how I can grow in caring for those around me, my family, for my spouse, for my kids, for my parents? Lord, how can I care for the people in this church and my community that you've placed in my life? How can I be a son or a daughter or a mother or a father? them. God, we thank you that we can call you Father. We don't take that for granted, how amazing that is just to be here and to know because of what Jesus did on the cross, we belong to you. We are in your hands. We are safe. That the creator of the universe looks down and we are not too small for you, but you care for us. You care for every need and you're going to give us everything that we need to do your will. We thank you, God, that that's true of you. That makes all the difference as we go through life. Lord, and that should just shape our hearts just to cause us to share that same attitude of mind that Jesus had. Lord, that, that we would look to our families and our homes and that we would look to this family here And Lord, that you would just lead us to serve and care for those that you have placed in our life. God, would you just show us how we can grow in that, serve you and honor you by the way that we serve and honor our families. 
that your name might be glorified, that more people may know how great your love is. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.